0: there's no upsell no guru
1: pitch and no fluff it's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the agency freedom podcast let's go hey folks welcome back to another episode of the agency freedom podcast we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom my guest for this episode is the work compologist, Mr. Stephen Sedlak. We're going to get all the way into personal branding. We're talking about the nuances of how to get into work comp in the marketplace. We have a legitimate expert with us here on this episode, folks. So Stephen, thanks for joining us, man.
2: Don't flatter me too much. That's that's a little too far, I feel like. But uh, no, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: You know, in the killing commercial world, in our little CBK family, uh, you have a, a great reputation for being uh, being a guy with a lot of personality. You got some hot takes. You got some edge to you. Also, <laughs> an absolute professional at uh, our craft. So I, I'm going to ask you first, just give us some background for those that don't know you, that aren't familiar. Where are you in the country? What are you up to? How'd you get to this point in your career? And then we'll just take it from there, man.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, you know, first off, I, I, I love what I do. Uh, I'll start with that. I have fun with it, but I'm also extremely passionate about it, extremely strong and, and can be a little opinionated at times, but that's hey, that's the nature of the beast. I love but it, no,
1: man. More power little, to you. A
2: little, yeah, thank you. Uh, a little bit about me. I, here in St. Louis, grew up here right across the river over in Illinois, which is where my office is now our agency has been around since 1919 all in our family line just not directly down it's more of a you know a, a nephew took over and then another nephew took over and yada 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 so fifth generation now is where we're at we've been here like i said since 1919 i grew up like most never wanting to come into this industry had no desire i wanted to get the heck out of dodge i mean i mean it's january here right now and it's miserable it's cold and dark at you know 4:45 i wanted to get somewhere at least a little bit warmer. And ended up going to Mizzou for college. Got my degree in journalism. I uh, realized there's no money in that after I graduated. Wanted to get in sales. Started a business while I was in college with four buddies. Kind of said, hey, this is the time to make a go at it. Uh, we, we took off. It was called Green Mobile as replacement cell phones. And it was really before the iPhones uh, came out. And so, it was mainly targeted at college kids who wanted to... Or basically not wanted, but maybe had a little too much to drink, broke their phone the night before. We had cheap replacement phones for them. And we had a location in Columbia, Missouri. And then we had one up at Champaign, Illinois, along with our website as well, too. That was – and that was actually my my good buddy Davey Holt over at IPFS. That was me and him. We had a little a little side venture business back in the day. No um, kidding. Yeah. So, that's a little, little funny story about him. I've got some commercials that were the absolute cheesiest commercials that you would ever <laughs> see. But, you know, it's like anything else. They Everybody hated them, but they remembered them. So, yep. we had that venture. Had too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Went off, went into the enterprise world for a little bit. That was definitely not my cup of tea.
1: Rental car enterprise?
2: Yeah, enterprise rental car. You know, they they run into the bone. So, I stuck that out for a little bit. And then I jumped over to ADP doing payroll sales mm-hmm. with them. You know, got up to President's Club for a little bit. You know, there for a little over a year. And then I had a conversation with my father who was the sole owner at the time and uh, with me and my brothers and said hey you know i need to figure out what my strategy is here if you have a desire let me know so i figured hell you know if i'm gonna try it now is the time to try it and now here i am 12 years later now and and, and taking over full time
1: so I'm, I'm going through the checklist of being really good in the commercial world you've got rental car experience <laughs> check okay you've got b2b you know professional experience with adt Check okay, no, you're basically AD, ready ADP, for ADP. Sorry, payroll, yeah. not yeah. security, ADP, the B2B side of things. So, you're basically ready for a career in commercial insurance, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, to be honest with you, right? It it, it was because that's what my role was over at ADP, it was a small business, uh, and then I got into the middle market that they consider over there, and so I already had a clientele that I could kind of call on and fall on. That was the first thing I went after when I transferred over. Uh, already had the relationships. It was a simple thing in a d p their sales process was always ranked uh and their training was always ranked in the top i think top two or three but let's just say top five to be safe you know annually every year and it was it was a very intense and a lot of stuff that I learned then i, I still utilize today you know they they start you off in the small business division and then you kind of move your way up to middle market of course, same thing in commercial it's a different customer that you're dealing with um so you're how you have to adapt. Um, you learn pretty quickly on it. So it's the same thing with with the middle market on this side. Is that most of these middle market accounts, not all, but most of these middle market accounts, you're dealing with a different person, different kind of buyer than you would if you'd have just a you know a small little three four man operation lawn care guy.
1: No, oh, yeah, no, you you definitely have a more sophisticated operator, right? Generally, the the decision maker. If you stick a junior producer on a one of those accounts, the the CFO probably knows more about insurance than the producer does.
2: Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. If you start off in this industry young, that's an old adage that people say. You know, it takes a good three years to build up, and and everybody that you talk to says that's that's complete BS. And I can get through it quicker. And some some do, but not not as many as they probably think do. You know, it is a if you're going after that side of it, you're young and you're going up against the guy. Who's probably been you know he's probably a baby boomer or something and been in the industry for thirty forty years with that account and to for them to look at you and that knowledge gap and and trust me I mean I've always looked like I was like ten years younger than I am, so even now I struggle with it I'm pushing forty, and some people still think I'm you know in my young thirties, so that mentality that people have you just gotta you gotta prove it to them that you know what the hell you're talking about
1: yeah. No, well, for sure. When, when before we transition to the the work compologist stuff and the book you wrote and everything, which I'm definitely going to ask you about, when you think about your time at ADP and some of the stuff uh, that you picked up there that serves you well at this phase of your career, what, what are one or two things that stand out that they taught you to do really well?
2: I get asked that question a few times, and the one thing I always come back to is the answer is always yes. Right? If you're Everybody can get called reluctancy. Everybody can get reluctancy from you know making drop ins if you're out and about. You know it, it's just a human nature to maybe try to try to not do it. It's a, you know there's going to be rejection with it, right? So everybody doesn't like rejection, so you try to try to avoid it, right? But it's a necessary evil, at least for how I conduct myself and, and how I I get business. And the answer is always yes. So if there's something that I'm driving by an account or if I'm going to see somebody and. I just really don't want to ask myself the simple question, should I go in? And the answer is always yes. So it's always something that I just take a an approach to that that kind of just wash over everything and just say, you know what, screw it. What do I got to lose type of thing? So that's yep. one that I always kind of fall back on. I've told this story before as well too. And, and one of my managers when I was at ADP, we were walking walking into an account that had a, a no solicitation sign on the door. And this was in my early days, probably week two or three. And he was kind of taking the lead, and I, I said something. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! They got a sign. He goes, "Really? You're not going in because of that?" And he goes, "No, come on, let's go." And sure enough, the, the lady at the counter called us out on it. She goes, "Did you guys not see that sign outside that said no soliciting?" Without a without missing a beat, he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was French for come on in.'" I mean, just just the whole room, you know, mentality and everything changed like that. We ended up getting an appointment. So, yeah, I mean, there were little snippets here and there, but that was a very eye opener at the very beginning that has always mm-hmm. stuck with me.
1: Now, I, I don't remember where I heard this story, but uh, it was, it's probably one of the books that I've read. The same kind of situation, they were on a sales call and it was an old hand you know, with someone who was new and learning the ropes and the receptionist said, did you not see the sign? And he had it in his bag. He had another one and he pulls out an, a brand new, no soliciting sign and goes, oh, that one was broken here. I brought you a new one. You know, now you say that,
2: I, I've heard that story too. And maybe it wasn't a book that I read as well. Yeah, so I don't know where said. I heard it from. I don't even know. It was, gonna it was just like, that's
1: just corny enough to work. Yeah, I yeah. might pull that off.
2: You're racking my brain now. I'm gonna, after we get off, I'm probably going to go searching through my books to figure out which one it was.
1: It's, uh, it's, probably, it's maybe a, a Jeb Blunt sales EQ. It might be in there somewhere. Might so. be, yeah. Now, so you wrote a book, you branded yourself the work compologist where did the inspiration for that side of your marketing come in? You're a clever guy. The stuff on social media, you're, you're real quick on the draw. Is, is that just part of the, you know, the inspiration, or did uh, someone coach you to do that at some point?
2: You're you referring to the, the work compologist moniker? Yeah.
1: Where, where, what was the inspiration for branding yourself something memorable, like the work compologist? My
2: my mind can wander quite a bit sometimes, especially late at night when my kids are in bed. My attic's finished, and that's where my office is, and I call it my attic, my man cave attic. Yep. And I got my my couch up there, my TV, and I got my desk up there. And I do some work, and that be you, that's where I wrote the book. Just and that's my time alone. Uh, I'm I don't require much sleep. I am up till 12, twelve twelve thirty every night. and I'm up by five thirty six every day. It's just um, it's just how I operate, and it works for me. My wife, you know, sleeps double that amount, but. It is what it is. So I'm up there a lot. And no, I mean, it's just nobody coached me on it. Nobody coached me on to write the book. It was just a, an idea that I had. And I had a conversation the other day with, with somebody on a podcast that I host, just talking about you know when you own a business or you run a business, that it can be lonely at times because you are that one person that 100 million thoughts go through a day of, am I doing this right? What do I need to do to, to do it better? How are we doing today? How are we doing this? Uh, so it can be lonely at the top and, and your mind is always racing. And that's kind of my time upstairs in the attic at night to kind of wind down. At least I try to, but then sometimes that's where more of the creative aspect comes because I don't have phone ringing. I don't have people knocking on my door. I don't have emails to answer. So I kind of let my creative space kind of come out there. So yeah, I mean, the, nobody coached me on it. It was just something that I had that I, that I came up with when I was writing the book. Again, you want to, you know, the, the sole purpose of the book was to, to use it for marketing reasons. So why not? I. Moniker a name, give yourself a fake title that doesn't exist, and run with it.
1: I love it. So the book itself, talk to me about that. You just shared that it came around as a, a marketing tool, a way to get yourself out there and mail a prospect a copy of your book and see what happens. I'm sure that's part of what you do. How did the process get started? Did you just wake up one day and go, "Hey, you know what?" I think I'm going to write a book and I'm going to make it a a prospecting tool talking about best practices in the work comp world. How did you come around to do that? And what was the process like? Feel free to be as detailed as you want because a lot of folks out there uh, in listener land have at least thought about, you know, getting a book done and adding that to the repertoire.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I've said it before. and I I think I've, I've, I've mentioned to you before that it's not hard. It's not a hard. It's just a process. No, the aspect of it was I was at a seminar and, and somebody was there. I don't remember. It was a seminar or, or a, an insurance industry type of thing, or whatever conference, but somebody was there and they were giving a speech and it was about something that they do with inside the insurance world and they had a book. And uh, right then and there, it kind of, to me, it was like, well, this guy's credibility just went from here up to here, right? He, he's got a book written. So I think on my drive home, I was like, well, why can't I do that? You know, yep. what qualifies this guy more than me to, to do this? Uh, first off, I've got my degree in journalism. It was from one of the top two journalism schools in the country. So writing's always been a factor for me and something that I've always done. And in and, and this world, besides blogs and, and articles to write, there's just not a lot. So, you know, basically I came home that night, went up to the attic, started kind of getting a game plan together. This was probably, I kind of forget the time for maybe October of 2020. 20, 2019. When did the pandemic so That was 2020,
1: right? Yeah, March of 2020 is when yeah, it kicked so, off. Right, so,
2: so 2019, uh, October 2019, and I got right, what do I want to do? You know, our our process for work comp is the book is seven, you know, seven steps, but we have more than that. But I'm not going to put them all out there in a book. So I go, right, seven's a good number. Let's start. I'm going to put together a little uh, uh, outline of what I want each chapter to be, and then I'm just going to go into detail. And if you know your craft and you know how you do it you say the same spiel a thousand times a week, a thousand times a month anyway. So you have yep. exactly that. So all you're doing is putting it down on paper and it words, So, you know, each night for about two months, I go up after the kids went down, hash it out, get a chapter or two down. And then, uh, you know, that was probably middle of December. I got it done. I got on Fiverr, got a uh, somebody to create a, a cover for me. And before all this or during the process, I was figuring out how I was going to get it published. And I knew Amazon had a, a platform that's free. So I did all my research on that and how it needed to be. And, and on their KDP website, it, it gives you how you need to format it, how you need to put it this way, what the cover does, how to upload it. I mean, it's a step-by-step process on there. So I literally put the whole thing together, uploaded it, and launched it, uh, I guess, three years ago now, uh, 2020, right for the pandemic. And again, the purpose of it was – the main purpose was to do seminars for – associations that we're involved with and give it as a giveaway to everybody in there to again, drive that factor in there uh, of that. Hey, we're experts at this. This is what we know. And and hopefully they leave with a little, a little question mark in their head of, Hey, am I doing this right now? You know, am I currently doing this properly compared to what he says? And if not, I need to get in touch with this guy. Now, are you going to get everybody to call you? No, you're just not, you know, but can you get some probably if you do it right. So then of course, here we are we're marching it. You know, I'm out at Keystone at a Keystone conference out in Las Vegas, uh, God in a March or no, end of February, early March, like two weeks before everything shut down. And I was I had some conferences lined up to give some stuff when I got back, and then boom, two weeks later everything changed and, and there was no in person conferences. So my mentality of how I was gonna market this had to adjust tremendously. Now during that time, during the pandemic, a lot of a lot of these associations were just struggling to find value to bring to keep members right they they these members weren't having meetings they weren't getting some of what they were used to. so a lot of these saw some people dropping out just for financial reasons. they didn't know what was going to happen so they were dropping especially in the construction world. a lot were doing that. they weren't sure at the beginning and then so they were starting to offer webinars so I'd sign up for that and I'd give a webinar and I would do like a drawing at the end and Pick people for depending if it was local. I'd go out and I'd get gift cards for restaurants around, and I would hand deliver the gift cards to the winners in a book as well too. And I would say on everyone that we did that, let's just say ten of them, we dropped them to. We ended up having long and lengthy discussions with three to four of them that we drop it to and bring majority of those on board. So you had to pivot that way. Then it was about yes, like you said earlier, of, of using the book as a is mailing out. There was it was strictly just cold calling at that point calling people out of the blue, calling clients i talked to before or prospects i talked to before. That stuff, nobody's really wanted anybody dropping in in their offices and locations. So you had to make the phone calls. And well, how can I prove to them what I know what I'm talking about? We would have a discovery. We would talk a little bit. And the majority of them would say, hey, let's schedule something else. So we do about a week or two week time period between that. So at that point, I would mail the book to him with chapters highlighted and a note saying, hey, this is what we talked about. I think you need to look at this before our next call. The very first one that that worked for me, and I've I've said it before, and I think I said it at at Carothers' first boot camp down in Tampa last year, was was Bigfoot Monster Trucks. And we did it with her as the first one where that kind of mentality of, of what I needed to do popped in my head. Did it with her. This was an July, so things were kind of dying down the first time. So she's like, "Hey, come in the office. You're fine." I show up. She's got everything out, highlighted in my book, and just hands me a, basically a bor and says, "Here, you need to take this over for me. Uh, you know what you're doing better than, than what my current agent is." So that that's has gotta been, feel good, man. There's nothing better than being validated by a prospect. I've walked away from clients before, uh, as well, too, or clients, or prospects, I should say, and and they've come back to you. Validation from them is the best thing. It's it's the the best sell in the world, in my opinion. You know, and and that's really become a huge repertoire of of how I use the book for marketing reasons now. A hundred percent, had I picked up one just before the end of the year, same aspect as a large tree trimmer, Uh, we started and just used the book, and next thing we know, we got a br in the entire account. Never met the guy. You know, we just talked over the phone a few times. So it's a the book's at two dollars and twenty five cents that it cost me to buy. To ship, it's maybe another three bucks. I got five bucks in total for bringing on a you know an account that's you know fifty sixty thousand in revenue at times. Sometimes a little bit lower. So to do that margin, and it's it's okay.
1: It's okay. Yeah, that's a very humbling way to describe what is an extremely effective strategy there for somebody that is is sitting out there and has this idea in their head. Maybe they're, they're you know, really passionate about a particular line of, of business or coverage or industry vertical or something. What, what's your advice on how to take that idea and begin to formulate it into a book like you did?
2: Well, it's a process, right? It's like anything else. The, the, the best way to do it is a process and to have it written down of how you're going to do it. I mean, like I said, I, I came home and sat down and put together, of, all right, how many chapters do I want? What do I want the chapters to be about? And that's it. I mean, because each chapter is a topic. And that topic is discussed in there. And the the book's under 100 pages. I had to keep it under 100 pages. I, I wanted to keep it lower, but I felt I had to get some meat to the bone. But let's be honest, it's, it's a book about insurance. And who the hell wants to read a book about insurance? I'm an in insurance and I don't even want to read a book about insurance, you know? <laughs> so you can't make it something too long that nobody's going to read. So you had to give it enough. And it's a quick read. I think everybody I sent it to says the same thing. They go, man, I read your book. I was done in 45 minutes. It was a great read. I got a lot out of it. Yada, yada, yada. So, I kept it to that. Now, is that right for everybody? I don't know. You know, me and Mike, my buddy Mike Asalas, we've talked a few times when he was writing his book and he agreed with me on that point too, is that you got to keep it to a point to where it's fresh and it's easy and Mm -hmm. not to where they're like, oh my God, I got, I'm 20 pages into this thing and I still got 130 to go. I'm done, you know, throw it to the side. So, yeah, I mean, the process, you just... Again, you just put together a game plan of what you want the book to be. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, some of my chapters from what I originally thought uh, on my first time, they changed You know, or I pivoted or maybe went a little more in depth than I originally planned on it. So there's no wrong or right way to write this. There's really not. There's no blueprint. There's nothing that says you have to write it this way. You have to write it that way. At the end of the day, you're, you're just writing something that's going to make sense and going to hopefully make sense to the prospect uh, if that's your goal and that's your plan to make sense to them that they can understand it. I mean, I, uh, I've i had people that have been into positions, been thrown into position at a company that never dealt with insurance before. And I've given them this book, of course, with the intention to get my foot in the door with them as well, too, to prove them that, you know, I can help you with this. But, you know, and they come back and say, thank you. You know, this has helped me understand the process of it a little bit more than just, you know, hey, it's a quote. It's a quote type of thing that you always hear.
1: Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, a nationwide brokerage solutions they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. No, I, I love that approach. It automatically presents you as an authority. So right. much of what a lot of folks do in the industry, and I I know you don't, and I really don't at this point, after doing this for more than a decade, I don't necessarily feel the same pressure to quote-unquote prove myself sitting down at the, the conference room table in some prospect's office, but a lot of folks do, and having a book with your name on it is a great way to remove the pressure of proving yourself to the prospect. That if they're even aware that you have authored a book or that you present it to your peers, they're not really questioning if you know what you're talking about. They just assume that you're great at what you do and they move on.
2: Right. right. And 95% of people have, no. that's probably a low number, 99% of people I'm talking to have no idea I wrote a book. So unless no. I bring it up, unless I bring it to them, it does me no good. So of course it has to be something that I have to bring up. I have to approach them about in a humbling way, not like it's anything, you know, to write home about anyway, but it's it's a way that you say, Hey, you know, again, we talked about this over the phone, I wanna bring it to you. Uh, this is kinda of a little more in depth of what I was talking about. You know, those are the type of approaches that that have worked most successfully for me.
1: Now, do you put it in your email signature or in some way, like increase visibility, just in a, a casual way? Right. I mean, the
2: whole purpose—the purpose of the book was never to sell the book. I mean, I'm thrilled that people have, you know, especially other agents and all that, and it is on Amazon to buy. But the whole purpose was never to sell it. If I figured if I ever sold that book for more money, you know, made more money off of selling that than I did writing new business, then I've failed oh, yeah. as, as a producer, right? I'm so, more
1: thinking of you being as a producer. You know, if you're talking to a prospect, so and so, if there is your best selling book in your email signature, it right. automatically raises awareness with that prospect of the does, kind of right. professional you are.
2: Right. That's the purpose. I, I do. I, I, we did get it up to number one on Amazon. It did become a number one bestseller. Now, Amazon's rankings and how they do it is a little bit different. You know, I'll, I'll be forefront with that. It's not like a New York Times bestseller. Uh, you could be listed at number one for an hour, they, they update it every hour, but. Guess what? You're st- you're still there. You're at number one. Hey, number you can one is number one. You can take a screenshot that shows number one bestseller. And let's be honest, there's not a lot of new books. There's not a lot of books in general that are being bought on insurance. You know, on the insurance topic on Amazon. So it's not hard to get it up there quickly. Uh, no. So yeah, so you did. So yeah, I mean, so we had somebody create some marketing aspects to that, and it's on the email signature. Again, it's. I used to put it on there that uh, you know, click here for a link to a copy of my book. You know, you can buy my book on Amazon, and that was just more to prove that it was am- on Amazon. Now I've kind of altered that and have it with the that shows as a number one bestseller and says, "Click here for a free copy of my book." That way, I can instead of them paying for it for the eight bucks, I'll make off of it or so. I can now have a, a you know use it as a lead funnel and and use it to get people's email addresses, addresses, names that. I don't have because you know, email chains go on, right? It's being forwarded on. Uh, there's something that you can say to somebody that they, they know somebody else in their same industry that they're they're good buddies with that they want to shoot over to them. So now you can use it as a lead generator as well.
1: Love it. And so when that happens, do you have some sort of mechanism in place that captures that person's mailing address and some sort of automated send out or one of your yeah. assistants does that for you? Yeah, or is it all well, just digital, like sending out a PDF of the book? No,
2: no, 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 no. I don't even have a digital copy of it. I didn't Good. do an Amazon Kindle. I didn't do any of that stuff. That, that to me, Good. anytime I get those, I, I have all the intention of the world sometimes to read them. And then I put them in a folder. And I've probably got 600 of them in a folder on my computer that I've read maybe or scanned through a couple of them. I just don't do it that much. So that was my mindset. And I want to have the actual hard copy. I can write a hand. If I can mail them my book, I can put a handwritten letter in there as well too, uh, thanking them. Whatever I need to do, but yeah, no, I have a form that it leads them to that they fill out with their their email, their address, and their uh, you know their name and, and business name as well too. So you know, on that form, I do have that it is strictly for business owners and not other insurance agents. Because I mean, if another insurance agent wants the book. They can buy it, I, you know, but go to Amazon like, and spend right, 10 bucks at right.
1: cheapskate. <laughs> right.
2: I'm not, uh, I, I, again, I appreciate them buying it. Don't get me wrong and people reading it and wanting to read it. But uh, if I'm going to send it out for free and spend my time and money on it, it's going to be based off of people that might be at some point beneficial as prospects for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening and thinking you might be able to cop yourself a free book from Steven, au contraire, my friend, that's not yeah, going to happen. No, 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 we do Don't a pretty do that. good
2: vetting, pretty good vetting job. So
1: I would imagine. No, I, I think your your head is definitely on straight with that one. I feel exactly the same way. I think a, a free PDF, one, there's no perceived value in that because they know that there's no effort at all in sending out some download link, but it also diminishes the value of the product itself. I love that that was your approach. I think that's exactly what we're going to do with the second book that I'm probably a year and a half or two years from now. The first one is strictly for my peers and folks in the industry. It's not designed to be customer facing, but the second one definitely will be. So, I'm learning from you and all the other folks that we have both know in the industry that have put something out there that's designed for the public and and not just other insurance folks.
2: So. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're doing something different than you know, if you're doing like something for a quick sale, right? If you're a one-time buy type of thing and you want to send a PDF as you're selling a product or something like that, I think that's a different aspect, but when it comes to, to mid-market accounts, it's such a process that something like a PDF is not going to bring any value at all. Uh, I shouldn't say at all, but very little in my opinion that's going to stick with them. It's going to go on their computer. And, you know, I have books on my desk that people have seen. I just got one from, we just signed up for the uh, cyber training for employees with a company called Know Before, and they sent me a book. You know, I got it sitting on my desk here. So you have it on your desk. They're going to see it every day. Until they throw it away or, or you know do whatever with it, so
1: Yep. no, I, I love that approach, man. It seems to have worked really well for you, so thanks for sharing your insight there for sure. Uh, I'm going to transition here real quick and talk about the work compologist thing in particular. for folks that are not in a monopolistic state or a state like Florida with you know state controlled pricing and whatnot, most of the country, work comp is just about the only line of business that has not blown up in cost, property and GL and cyber and ENO and DNO all seem to just be skyrocketing in the last couple of years. Work comp has come down in the last couple of years. So for now. For, for now, yeah. For folks that, that understand the value and the benefit of being aware of good tactics and strategies for for getting started in work comp or maybe starting to lead in work comp Now, what's one or two things that you can share with the audience of uh, effective ways to kind of wrap your arms around the whole work comp thing in the marketplace?
2: Right. Yeah, I I think for – and here's the thing with this book too, right? It doesn't have to be for anybody that's, let's say, in an NCCI state. There's stuff that's tailored a little bit more towards NCCI states than others. But overall, if you're in a monopolistic state or if you're in Florida or or anything similar to that, is this – the concept of it is the same, right? You're controlling – That program—it's not a quote, it's not a policy, it's a program. It's the Work Comp program, and that's what we try to get our prospects to understand: is that it's no longer a policy, it's a program. What are you doing in your program to help this, right? So, let's just say a monopolistic state, right? It is what it is, and the rates are what they are. I hear that stuff all the time when I'm calling people in non-monopolistic states, right? Oh, Well, you know, it is what it is. Well, no, it's not. You know, oh, my agent got me a quote last year. Well, that's. I don't care. You know, I can get you quotes too. If that's all you're wanting, I'll do it for half the price he's charging. But at the end of the day, how do you control your program? How do you make sure that safety is the number one aspect? Do you have a return to work program? You know, we like to call it a a recover at work program because that's where people are recovering. Do you have relationships with medical facilities that know that you have a recover at work program? So there's, you're going beyond the actual policy, right? You're controlling that. The work comp policy is the one policy that you have ninety-five percent control over. I said the only thing you don't have control over the rates. Everything else you have control over. Are they in the right class code? Are they was the audit done correctly? So once you go beyond that, you know, the work comp policy is the shortest policy out of anything out there. And in reality, it's about six pages long or so, but the actual program that, that you should and the time that you should focus on it is ten times more than than majority of your other policies, depending on what industry that, that you're in, of course. But if you can get prospects to do that, majority of them don't see that, don't have never been told that. So that's one reason why we're always leading in with, with the work comp, because it is, it's almost like a, a throw in for, for most companies and, and most agents. They just throw it in at the end, like, oh, well, here's your work comp. You know, it's, it's always at the end, yada, yada, yada. So we're going in with it and showing them, here's, you know, we'll run reports for them. We'll do all this stuff. We'll show them, you know, hey, if you had no losses, or if you had just medical only, here's where you'd be at right now. Here's where saving your premium would be at compared to where it is now because your mod's at a higher level because you didn't have it. And you have indemnity being paid out. Whereas if you had medical only, it takes such a percentage down on your payroll or on the on the mod calculation that now you'd be down to this amount. And here you are over three years where you'd be at. So that's really the only aspect where we ever talk about price in reality with our prospects and clients.
1: So for those that aren't terribly familiar with how WorkComp works, what you just said is going to sound like German yeah. or a, a different language. I can imagine with you being as, as savvy as you are, you're not manually running any of these calculations yourself or sticking it in a regression analysis with Excel spreadsheets or whatever. What sort of tech are you using? What vendors are you uh, fond of that help you do this stuff faster and easier?
2: So. I do like to do the data input because for me and my staff, it it helps them. It's it's that, you know, they're constantly doing it. So they're constantly knowing what to look for and where it's at. But we do use a a program for this through the Institute of Work Comp Professionals. They have have a program that's, it it is Todd, Todd Dam's one, was it Mod? uh,
1: Mod Advisor. Mod Advisor,
2: yeah. Yeah, His is a good one, very good one. And and I'd recommend that to anybody, especially that's not necessarily ever dealt with Work Comp a lot. But this one for us is um, we've got so much data stored in it and we've used it forever. It works for us. Could it be a little more viewer friendly when it comes to how it looks? Yeah. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's that to us. We don't want that to be the story. We want us to tell the story and show them what it is. I've always been a big, big believer. and I've always said it before is don't tell me how you do it. Show me how you do it. So I want to show them how we're doing it instead of just telling them, Hey, this is what it is type of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, if anybody gets into, it, you got to find out what's right for you, what's good for you. Um, ours, ours is uh, I think it's called Comp Control. I don't even know. It's just on my computer, and I just know where to click it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, to me, it's just a, a, a reinforcement of uh, going in and manually, manually doing it. But it's is the time. It's not a huge data entry thing. It's not a huge aspect of time. But it works for us.
1: Love it. No, that's good stuff. Shout out to Todd Tams and Mod Advisor. He is definitely our go to provider for building these analysis reports and and crunching the numbers on WordComp, the experience modifier, and stuff like that. For those of you that aren't familiar, check the show notes. I'll put uh, a link in there to Todd's uh, uh, program. We don't get any money from it, but I love showing the other mice where the cheese is located, as they say. So. You know, the last thing we're going to talk about here, Stephen, and get you back to your day is Keystone, the alliance that you guys are in. When I think of the network of folks that you and I run in, you and Christian Delosier and Josh Gurley are all Keystone. They've been in there for a while. You speak very highly of it. Uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to give anybody over there a shout out of, hey, this is uh, what our experience with Keystone has been and why, uh, why they've been good for your office and, and why you stay with them uh, over the years.
2: Yeah. You know, I'll start off by saying, you know, if, if you're ever looking at something, you got to find out what's right for you. Um, mm-hmm. there there's, there's a bunch of different ones out there. When we were looking, uh, Keystone had just come into the state of Illinois back in 2012. We were one of the first partners to come on board. We were number seven, I believe that came on board. And, and once we get to a certain amount, a state, we kind of tap out and, and don't bring on any more. You know, the main reason, a couple main reasons why, why we decided to go with Keystone over some other ones is that, um, the main purpose is is we have not competes with all of our partners, right? So now we're on a more collaborative level. When we have our quarterly meetings, you know, we don't have to be necessarily. We're talking about accounts. We're talking about this. We don't have to be worried about hey, are they going to go back? And catch? Not saying that anybody would do that, but you, you, the conversation, the flow of the conversations, and in depth the details that we get with everybody just becomes a lot more engaging in a lot more detail you know we're, we're looking right now at purchasing a, a, a small book of business and i reached out yesterday to to a couple of our state partners and just had this in-depth conversation with them that I, I don't know if I would have gotten anywhere else but along with that is it's not you know they don't own any of us we don't you know we opt out they just have last chance of write a right of refusal so if we want to leave we can at that point unless they want to buy us if we're selling, but it's very rare to see people leave Keystone. It happens, but like everything else, it happens, but it's it's rare. And there are divisions. We have all these certain divisions. We have a risk management division inside of there. We have life and health benefits or life. You know, We deal with life. If I get something in, I turn over the life division and they run with it and I get my check basically. It's same with the benefits. We have a benefits division in there. And we recently in the last year brought on a, a retired school superintendent. He approached us, still wanted to do something. And... Kind of a perfect storm occurred with their the current health uh, group that they were in uh, the school districts that he knows very well, and the Keystone Benefits division just stepped in, kind of helped us corral it. And in his first year, you know, he'll probably he'll bring in, he's bringing in between he's projected between three hundred three hundred fifty thousand in revenue in his first year, and that's just because of, of Keystone Benefits. There's no way that we would have been able to do that on our own. It's not our foray. It's not something we deal with on a daily basis. We have a small health book. We used to have a health producer who retired. We kind of just let it sit on the books type of thing. So it's not something I want to deal with on a daily basis, but I know there's good revenue aspects with it there. So, I mean, without them, there's no way, no way we would have been able to get that done to where, especially in the time fashion that it needed to be done in. They had all the processes set up. They had all the relationships set up. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, without them... Our our last year wouldn't have been a good, as good as it was, mm. you know. And and again, you know, there's little other caveats to it as well too. But I think if you talk to anybody in, inside of Keystone, those are the main aspects that'll that'll constantly get brought up. And they're always they're always looking for ways to improve offerings to to our partner members as well. You know, it, it's it's owned by our partners. Most of the agency owners are also stockholders in Keystone as well too. So there is an aspect of that as well too, that it's for, you know, everybody's working towards the same goal, the same collaborative. Yeah. I mean like anybody else. Yeah. We have stop losses when it comes to uh, just certain carriers, we have overrides, we have guaranteed contingencies if we need them. But if you're joining, in my opinion, if you're joining a group for those reasons, to me, it's, it's, it wasn't what we were looking for. You know, there's years that with certain carriers we've, we've gotten less than we would if we were on our own, but there's also more years where we got more than we would have if we were on our own. Uh, So for us, that was never a deciding factor. It it was just a caveat.
1: That makes sense, man. The the revenue model is obviously important. One of the things that get tossed around the most often in these groups on social media is the so-called divorce clause. And I'll just second out there, uh, you know, out there in, in Freedom Jumper land uh, what Steven said about uh, read the agreement and make a choice that is right for you and your agency. I always want to chuckle with these folks on social media that just generically condemn one group or another or generically promote one group or another. It's like, so-and-so is the best or so-and-so sucks. I, yeah. like, I don't know about that. You know, There's a lot yeah. of variability that each office has to make their own decision on things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, of course, everybody that's in their own is going to say it's the best. Otherwise, yeah. why wouldn't you be in it, right? If you thought another you know. one was the best, you'd be like, Are
1: you one. trying to convince yourself that it's the best, or uh, is it actually the best? You know, you never know.
2: Yeah, no, no. you know, and when Keystone goes into states, they have a, a meeting. They invite a bunch of agencies. They work heavily with the Big eye. so a lot of agencies that the Big eye recommends, they, they go in for the most part. You know, there's other ones as well, too. Like, if if they go in a state and I know somebody, I'd refer them, say, hey, this is a guy you got to talk to. Uh, as yeah. well too, um, and when they do that, they they bring out they ask partners to go out there and they get you know basically to tell their story, similar to you know why'd you join and, and sit down and have little conversations at little tables with a small group of people to to explain it to them and talk with them. And when you do that, you don't get paid to do that. You get asked by Keystone to do that. They'll pay for your transportation and, and lodging. But these guys, when they do that, are taking time out of their day out of running their business to go to another state, sometimes fly a couple states over for a twenty four to thirty-six hour period to tell the story of what Keystone brings to them. So, you know, when people are doing that and taking that time and volunteering that, you know, to me that showed a lot, right? That showed a lot that these people, very successful agencies that I'd heard of in other states that I knew of were first one members. Because I've seen some that I'm like, well, when we first joined and we we're looking, we're like, well, why the hell are they in this? You know, they've got every carrier that they have that they ever want. And so my father at the time, and we were partners. That was his thing. And he saw a couple in there. He goes, well, if they're seeing value in this, originally, because he was kind of uh, you know iffy about it. He goes, if they're seeing value in it, then I need to take a step back and look a little bit more and, and see exactly what they're seeing. And once we did that and did our due diligence a little bit more, it was 100% our, our right fit. And we've been active in it. We're very active in it. I'm in charge of the Emerging Leaders Committee that we have and, and our conference that we have every year this year, which we're doing down in New Orleans. We had it last year in Vegas. We had Carruthers out there for that one. We have them coming out here again in New Orleans as well. And, uh, you know, we just got we've got good relationship with our, you know, great relationship with IPFS. We've always had relationships with them. Carriers, Arlington Row has become our our go-to when it comes to our our brokers that we use. So it's taken us on a different level with certain carriers and brokers as well, too.
1: Makes sense, man. Uh, I love hearing the enthusiasm. I'm grateful to have so many solid options out there uh, in our industry just because I joined SIAA doesn't mean I don't see the value in what Keystone is offering to their partner agencies as well. It's a a rising tide, definitely lifts all boats in my experience. So, you know, as as we wrap up your episode, man, any final thoughts, anything you want to get off your chest, any hot takes you got for us? (laughs) Anything just bugging you, you can uh, unleash something on?
2: No. No, no, not today. It's, okay.
1: uh, no. <laughs> He's well-behaved, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I'm going to write this on my calendar. <laughs> it's, it's
2: early in the year, so I'm not, you know, my my, my level of where I'm at still at a low level, so no, I'm, okay. I'm just enjoying life. It's actually sunny here today and, and a little bit warm, even though it is January, so that always puts you, has to put you in a good mood when you live where we live.
1: There you go, man. I really appreciate your time, dude. Your perspective uh, is a little bit more elevated from from where you find yourself, in, mostly in middle market commercials. So uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts and stuff about your book there. If you uh, are in the industry and you want to get a copy of Stephen's book, I'll drop the Amazon link in the show notes for this episode. And we'll just leave it at that, man. He is Stephen Sedlak. He is the work comp ologist. And this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.